Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Pleasure of reading the scripture uh, this morning. Uh, the scripture today is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It is the passage of Jesus' birth. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The, uh, the theme of this series, and really the Advent season in general, is, is God with us. Now, I... I guess earlier in my life, when I thought about this idea of God with us, it was more like, um, you know, the force in Star Wars. Like, um, you know, God is there, and uh, he's sort of distant, and some people, um, you know, the goal of life is somehow to become aware that he's there, and that that force will help you in your moment of need. Whether it's, you know, you just lost your arm, or you're a bad actor, but you're still trying to be the hero of the story, the force will help you do that. Right? And if you just call on it and learn, it'll, it'll swoop in and it's mysterious and kind of unknowable, but it'll be there and, it, and it'll kind of help you in your time of need. And I think um, whether you're a Star Wars nerd or not, that idea of God as the force, um, I think many people who believe in God kind of have that relationship or that dynamic with him. And that could be uh, because of that's how it was in the home that you grew up in, was sort of God was like the cosmic policeman, you know, uh, keeping the world in order, and you didn't see him unless something was wrong or every so often, but he was benevolent, like he would help you if you were stuck. And, and so maybe that was like that in your church, or maybe in, in your home, or maybe in the religious tradition you grew up in, or maybe just that sense of sort of God there. And I think even though that's common, it's problematic. Uh, for, for probably three reasons. One is the distance that that creates in the sense that God is impersonal, right? The force is, it is, it is not close to us. There's this sense of distance there, and many of us actually could describe, maybe in an earlier season or even our present season of life with God, there's that sense of distance. You know he's there, but he's not close. But also sometimes disappointment with God. Because he didn't come through in your moment of need. Or he seemed to for other people, or he did at certain times in your life, but somehow you were calling on the force, and the force just wasn't with you. God wasn't with you in that sense. And so sometimes there's that disappointment that that creates with God. And then in general, disconnection. Right? If God is kind of like the force that is with you in your moment of need, but then there's everyday life. The decisions you need to make, 
about job, about money, about sex, about relationships, about everyday coming and going, that God is not really connected into that. That's not really having to do with God. That's not having to do. And, and many of us even grew up with this idea of sort of a compartmentalized view of religion or faith. It was sort of over there. It was combined to certain days of the year or certain hours of the week or certain clothes that you wore on certain days, but that was it. It really wasn't connected in to everyday life. Interestingly, if you read the story of Scripture and what, uh, what we describe as the Old Testament, the collection of writings about God's dealing with the first group of people, um, the Israelites, it was actually very similar. They also had a sense of distance in their relationship with God. In fact, they sort of had intermediaries, priests and people like that who were the holy people, and they would go meet with God and sort of tell them what God said, but there was necessarily this separation between them and God. There was a distance in that. And there was actually, you read in some parts of Scripture, early on in their relationship, they didn't want to get close to him because he wasn't, they didn't know whether they could trust him and there was this built-in sort of inherent distrust and unpredictability of the relationship with God. So let the professionals go and do it. That's not a new way of thinking. That's an old way of thinking. It seemed to be, there was distance in their relationship with God. But then also disappointment. You know, why aren't you coming through? There were times that God seemed to come through for them and times that he didn't, and they would become disappointed. And in fact, the period of time that led up to the arrival of Jesus, you could call it almost 400 years of disappointment. As they had been sort of occupied first by, or conquered, and really their city and their people and their identity just sort of stripped away from them, obliterated by Babylon. And then the Persian kingdom that conquered Babylon, and then under Alexander the Great, the Greek uh, empire and then the Roman Empire. And so over those four plus centuries, they had just passed from one occupation to another and Rome was probably the most brutal. And their savior was not coming. And so there was a great sense of disappointment. Where are you? And disappointment in the sense that maybe some were still waiting, but after four generations of the stories that have kind of gotten old and said, well, that was okay for your grandpa's grandpa, but I haven't seen any of that. There was a disappointment built in. And then also a disconnection from everyday life. In many ways, they just look like everybody else around me. The way they dealt with people, the way they handled money, the way they handled sex, the way they treated foreigners, the way they treated their enemies. They were basically, many times you actually read in scripture that there was, this, there was no difference between the people of God and everybody else. It was this disconnection from every day life, which is why the way God and, uh, God's arrival to us was announced by the angel was so stunning in this passage that Martin read for us in one of the biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew. It's an angelic, um, it's a story about an angelic visit, but it's a description of how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary, this is in Matthew chapter 1, was pledged to be married to Joseph. So a pledge in those days was essentially that like they were married. It was a betrothal. It was going to happen. It wasn't even much stronger than we would even think of engagement. This, this was a married couple, in a sense. Uh, but they weren't. The marriage hadn't been consummated. The ceremony hadn't been finished. But this was going to happen. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've read this passage before, just don't let the familiarity of it ruin your shock at what we're reading. Before they came together, before they had sex, she was pregnant. 
through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, the law would have been, if she was unfaithful, he would have to report her and she would be stoned to death. He was faithful, but he did not want to expose her to public disgrace and death. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. That's why they used the word divorce, because betrothal was like marriage. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds this editorial comment for his Jewish readers. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. If you've Growing up in the church, if you watch Charlie Brown is Christmas, if you any kind of access to this, to some degree this may be familiar to you, but even if it's not, this is the moment where God with us is announced to the world. That God was coming into the world as a human being, with flesh. That this was the announcement of God with us. And that Mary the one who would give birth to the child, was pregnant, it says, through the Holy Spirit. Now, we, when he, she tells Joseph this, understandably, he's like, Mary, that's not a thing. <laughs> right? That's not a thing. Say you were raped. Say you were unfaithful. This, what is this? This, is, this doesn't happen. It's, it's not, it doesn't even make any sense. It's not possible. Secondly, if I were him, I'd be thinking, this is not the way God works. God would not work like this. This is messed up. Thirdly, how could this be the savior of the world? You're having a baby. How's a baby going to save anyone? And fourthly, this is going to make my life really difficult. If, if I'm a part of this, I have a bastard child. Everybody will know. They'll either think I was not honorable or that I've taken on a wife who was not honorable, which makes me not honorable. It's an honor-shame culture, remember. So on every level, this is like a no-fly zone for Joseph. And so an angel has to come to him in a dream and says, no, 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 you need to do this. Your wife's actually telling the truth. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. This is the fulfillment of the 700-year-old prophecy of what it looks like for God to be with us. This is how God is going to be with us. Not distant at all. So close, so personal. Like, think about this. Think about the relationship that Mary and Joseph would have had with Jesus. Like, Mary, of course, like from the inside out, birthing his child, but then holding him, close enough, as someone has put it, to hear God breathe. That the, in, the level of intimacy that mother and child, parent and child would have had, and the angels saying, this is God with us. It's an ironic twist, right? Because 
we say when a woman is pregnant, they are with child. This is God with the mother as the child. Mind-blowing. The closeness that this would have meant for what it meant for them to say, to hold their baby and say that this is God with us. I'm not sure the mind can wrap itself around that. So why C.S. Lewis, uh, the one who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, called this, what theologians call the incarnation, in other words, God becoming flesh, the grand miracle. The one from which any other miracle in life sort of sits underneath. This thing is the grand miracle that God would cram himself into flesh to become one of us, to be God with us, to enter the womb of a human being and be born into the world, in a sense, like every other human being. But can I, can I just sort of drop a bomb on you this morning about this? If Lewis is right that this is the grand miracle, it actually was the beginning of a million other miracles. In that, what happened to Mary is meant to happen to us. In the sense that people who come to be followers of Jesus are meant to be pregnant with Jesus. This is where you take your phones out and say, you know, your video on Monday, you'll say, I went to a cult on Sunday. <laughs> what are you talking about? Look what the Apostle Paul says to a church in Galatians 4.19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's pregnancy language all over this thing. Paul's, like, the metaphor is just spreading. He says, I am laboring, I am in, have the pains of childbirth so that Christ would be formed in you. Now, the word form that he used, the Greek word, is morphu, which actually is, is the, the, the literal translation of that is the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. It's the word that was used to describe the embryonic state of a child in the womb. And Paul says, I am like laboring so that somehow you would be pregnant with Christ, that Christ would be born in you. Just like the miracle of Christ literally being born in Mary was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm praying, I'm laboring, I wish I want this for you too that there would be something new birthed in you that is Christ. <coughs> it's crazy language. And he has in mind, I think, even this picture of what happened with Jesus being born in Mary. The inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. Christ formed in you. If we step back for a moment and think about just how crazy of a statement that is. In the same way that as Mary was pregnant with Jesus, that slowly this embryo began to grow. And as it grew, her life began to change. Her, her body, obviously, taken over by this life. That as it grew, she literally grew. 
chemical reactions in her body, preparing her for not only birth, but to be a mother. But then what it also would have meant for her life emotionally, to know that somehow she was carrying the savior of the world. And then to raise this child. Some of us think we have stress with our job. Okay, she was the mother of the Lord. This was gonna take over her emotional state, but also socially. We know even later on, because some of the comments that were made about Jesus, that he grew up with a stigma. Later on, some people were sort of criticizing him and said, oh, we, don't, we don't even know who your parents are. So she knew she was going to live in shame and stigma of a child out of wedlock in that culture. So in a sense, her whole life would have been taken over. And her identity now, not just as a woman, not just as a daughter of the family she was in, not just as a married woman, not just as a wife of Joseph, but now as a mother, her whole identity changed and the mother of the Lord. From the inside out, slowly but surely, everything changing because Christ was being birthed in her. I remember with our first child, like watching the change happening in my wife. And in the same way, not just physically, and all the upside down stuff that happens to a woman's body when she's pregnant, but then how it began to change who she was and how we related to each other. And then how she began to understand herself and who she is now and the books that she's read and the things that she's done and the skills she now had that she didn't have before. And really even an identity change as she took on a new role as a mother. Everything has changed. And I believe when Paul says, hey, this is what it means, this is what I'm laboring, that Christ would be birthed in you, that the same miracle, in a sense, that was a miracle of the actual flesh and blood body of Jesus being born in you, but this miracle that is meant to happen spiritually in each of us. What it means when we say God is with us, or if you want to personalize it and say God is with me, it means that that God is inside, transforming me from the inside out so that progressively everything, mind, body, soul, relationships, what I think, what I feel, changes. It is being transformed progressively, slowly, but surely. That's what Paul says. Christ takes over. Your identity changes. It begins to totally redefine life for you. You might say, well, wh like, why? Why is that happening? What is that about? In the case of Mary, of course, it had to happen because Jesus was coming into the world as in the flesh, as God with us. But why us? Well, Paul actually writes this to another, in, a, in another letter he wrote in the New Testament, the book of Romans. And he says it this way, for God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Why is God doing this in your life, this crazy thing of Christ being born in you, growing, taking over progressively? He doesn't just use the word formed, it's the embryo, the word conformed, which is from the Greek word somorphous, which means similar in form to. To who? To Jesus. 
The reason God is birthing Christ in your life that will begin to take over is so that you will start to look more and more like Jesus. And it uses this weird language. It says, because Christ is the firstborn in a family where there will be many brothers and sisters. And that the brothers and sisters share a similar look, a similarity, similar in form to the oldest brother. Do you get that? That God's purpose in your life as he births Christ in you, and that begins to take over and everything begins to change, is so that more and more you will resemble Jesus. That you will be like a sibling and someone says, oh, you must be related. You ever had that? Some of you that have siblings or whatever, or you know, any kind of family relation, someone looks at you and goes, oh, I see your mommy. There's a similarity, right? There's people saying, and the more they know you, the more they see that connection. And then the more you know someone, you see the mannerisms, you go, oh, that's just like your mom or that's just like your sister. I know people say that to you as kids, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just like my dad. You know, like, there's that experience. There's that connection that over time, people would start to look at us and say, you remind me of someone. You, you look a lot more like Jesus. That they see you and they don't see you for a while. And the next time they see you, they see something in you. They say, what's happened to you? Something is changing inside you. You don't even look the same anymore. I think that you remind me of someone I know. That that is God's purpose in your life is to make you more like Jesus. Well, this is wonderful, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to be like Jesus? He was like Time Magazine's most influential person ever. I don't know how many times. It's like, yeah, that's not bad. Like, I mean, that's not a bad compliment, right? If someone says, you know what? You remind me of Jesus. You know, anyone, no one's ever said that, right? But like, that would be great. It's wonderful news, but it's actually terrible. You know why? There's a verse that comes right before this one in 8.28. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We have a song, right? You, you make all things work together for my good. We love that. Oh, God's working all things together for good. Look at this. We know that in all things, in which things? Say it louder. All things. In all things, God is working together for your good for this purpose. What purpose? That you would become more like Jesus that you would become a brother or sister of Christ, that you would resemble him, that you would be similar in form to Christ. This is God's purpose in your life, and God will use all things to do that. It means the things in your life right now that you are praying would go away, would stop, would get fired, <laughs> would move away from your neighborhood, would get reassigned, the situations, the health issues, the things that you are praying would go away, that God does have the power to do, and he's not the author of evil, but Paul says actually he is able to use all things for a greater purpose than maybe that thing you're praying for. You ever stop and thought that Maybe the thing that I'm praying would go away is actually the answer to the prayer that I prayed a year ago that said, God, God, change me. God, can you help me with this addiction? Can you help me with this? That God is actually bringing something or allowing something in your life that is actually being used to 
form you, form Christ in you that would make you more and more like Jesus. Because Paul says, actually, God is able to use all things, and he is using all things to work together so that you would become more like Christ. That is good news and difficult news. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of things that, I, that I'm praying for. But then there are other things, the deeper things, that sometimes maybe I've given up praying for, or I'm not courageous enough to pray for, and those have to do with who I am as a person. Maybe the patterns of thought or action that I wish would change, that I haven't seen change. Same manic, neurotic fears that I have, insecurity, all the stuff that I keep seeing in my life that I think, man, will that ever change? And as I read these verses again in preparation of public, I was saying, oh, that, that is what I'm dealing with. That's the deep work I'm doing. That's the thing from the inside out that I am slowly changing. And I am able to use everything going on in your life for that purpose. That is my plan. That Christ would be formed in you and that you would be conformed so that you become similar in nature to Christ. Man, that takes God with us to a whole new level. That this is what the angel is saying. He, this is God with you like that. Not just God up there like the force around a bit when you need him from the inside out changing everything about you, coming so close. Deals with all of those three things at once. It deals with the distance at once. It's saying, no, God is with you from the inside out, never leaving you, never forsaking you that through the miracle of his spirit, he is with you all the time. The distance is closed. This is not an impersonal force that is working and trying to be for you. And also is a God who is with you as personal and close as someone you can hold and touch. But also it begins to deal with the disappointment in our lives, right? Because the disappointment we have is for the prayers that have gone unanswered. We start to realize, wait, actually God, you have this grander purpose to make me more and more like Jesus, and you're actually able to use all the things, even the things I'm disappointed at, towards that purpose. And so you may not be answering this prayer, but the unanswered prayer is an opportunity for you to persist in making me more and more like Jesus. And so maybe my disappointment can be revisioned in my life and how I look at everything in my life, the difficult people, the difficult things. But then also it deals with the disconnection, right? Because no, if God has invaded us so much that from the inside out, changing my mind, changing my heart, now every day, every decision, everything that I'm dealing with in life, God is connected to and has a purpose and a plan. Now, every decision I make about who I'll hang out with, whether I return that phone call, whether I take that job opportunity, or what I study in school, or how I treat the person that I'm dating, or whether I should marry this person, and how I deal with the marriage that I'm in. God is intimately involved in all of those things. From the inside out, changing the way we think and feel and act. This is what it means when we say, oh, God is with me like that. Which means we should expect change. Like, expect that you're going to change. Like, this is funny, right? Because um, 
all of the stuff that happens to a woman when she's pregnant, she would not put up with under any other circumstances. <laughs> it's even, I don't even know, like, it, it even feels bad that, like, it happens to a woman, because if a guy's stomach was going to grow every day, but he knew it was only for a period, every day would be like, honey, look, look, oh, look at this, right? Women, it's like a terrible thing to happen, right? In a sense. I remember, I'll just be honest with you, okay? When Jen was first pregnant, five minutes in, she's like, oh, hi, like, I've gained so much weight. And I said, well, it's only five months, so you'll probably gain more. Which I just thought was a statement of fact. I know now that it was idiotic. I've learned I'm just sharing, I'm vulnerable to share my learnings with you, so you don't make the same mistake. And then all of a sudden, the wardrobe has to change. I remember coming home one day, and there were clothes literally like all over our bedroom. I was like, man, I'm glad I was not home for this one. <laughs> Everything is changing. Everything upside down. Like, can't sleep anymore, and back pain, and like, the only reason you put up with it. And in fact, if you weren't growing as a pregnant mother, you would be concerned. Even though you hate gaining weight, even though it means you have back pain, even though it means you can't sleep anymore, if growth wasn't happening, you would be very concerned. Why? Because the one thing you want is for that life to grow in you. You expect the change. And then all the stuff that happens and the sleepless nights and the way that it like literally takes over your life and invades your home and everything is upside down now. There are so many things broken in our house. Things that I'm like, guys, there is a head-shaped hole at the bottom of the stairs and nobody has any recollection of how this happened. I mean, maybe those two things are related, I guess. I mean, whoever's head it was doesn't remember. But like, there's just stuff that, and I can't fix anything. I mean, light bulbs are about, you know, I tap out there. Like, just everything changes. And you expect it. And in fact, the only way to embrace it is to expect it. Friends, this is what it means to begin to look for signs of life in your life. Things that otherwise you'd say, this is terrible, I wish this would stop. But if you are pregnant with Christ, if Christ means to transform you from the inside out, then you go, oh, I think I maybe know what this is. And actually, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for what things? All things, in all things, God is able to use those things to form the life within you that begins to grow and take over. And so if that's true about you and me, then we expect, even for some of you that say, I don't know where I'm at in that spiritual journey. Maybe it's not even an embryo yet. But to know, this is like God actually wants to come this close to me in my life that this would actually deal with the distance and the disappointment and the disconnection that I often have felt when it comes to God. Is God with us through Christ changing us from the inside out? And so we expect change. And so here's what I want to leave you with in this season. That you would expect and watch for the signs of life in your life. That you'd actually be looking for change that might be coming as God begins to work on your thought patterns and your actions and your behaviors and your relationships and you begin to realize, oh, this disturbance is good. Bring it up. I want more. I want to check. How much more? How much more is happening? Because that means life is inside me. And so you need to look for that. Even the things, I know even this season is difficult for many of us for all kinds of reasons. That we would look to the seed and say, God, you are able to use these things 
to birth new life in me. Watch for the signs of life, the good ones and the difficult ones. Point them out in each other's lives. If you have seen change, like you're not supposed to do this, okay, when someone is pregnant, just clear the deck. Oh, you're looking bigger. No, don't need to say that. Really? Like, but in spiritual life, you're meant to say, I see growth in you. Guys, we need to do that for each other because we have so much negative self-talk, right, about ourselves. And it's hard to see growth in your own life. And when you feel like you're going and you fail, you feel like, oh, I'm just right back to where I am. We need to do that for each other in relationships, as friends, as spouses, in family. You know what's easiest to do in family is when someone slips up again that we just go, oh, same old you. But we need to go, you know what? It's actually been a long time since I've seen you do that. And you know what? You, you asked for forgiveness way quicker than you normally do. I see change in you. We need to point out the changes that we see in each other. We need to actually encourage each other. Not with like pissy, pithy like. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not going to be on the internet. This. Little like, oh, every cloud has a silver lining. You know, you'll have a better day. No, no, no. She just say, look, I know that's lousy. And I'll pray for you that that will change. But even if it doesn't, God is able to use that to make you more like Jesus. I'm going to pray for you like that. Right? We need to do that for each other. And then actually we need to step back and go, man, we're part of a family that's actually pregnant with Christ. What does it mean for a church to be pregnant with Christ? It means that God is disturbing us and changing us from the inside out because he's trying to make us collectively look more like Jesus so that when people come in contact with their church, they go, I don't know what it is about you, but I like being around you. In fact, I'm not sure I believe anything that you believe, but I really like being with you. Jesus liked a lot of people who were nothing like him, and they liked him back. What would it mean for us to be a community that is becoming more and more like Jesus? And we are in this uh, stage as a church where we are, in a sense, pregnant, literally, like we're birthing a second location and probably a third by 2020. That we want to see Christ multiplied in communities and places where they're building new schools and new community centers and new Walmarts, but not any new churches. That we would say we want to see Christ to say, God is not just with us. He is for us. And he's not just with you. He is for you and not against you. Right? One of my favorite verses in scripture says God has made us his ambassadors. God is pleading with the world through us, telling people he's not counting their sins against them. We need to have a message like that to the communities and people who think God has written them off. Or the church is just a place that would judge them or guilt them. Say, we are people that want to see God with us in all of these places. That's what's going on in our church right now. And so we should expect change. We should expect to feel difficult and challenging. And many of you have been up to your neck with this multiplication process. And I want you to know this is part of the growth pains. <laughs> but Christ is able to use that to form more of himself in your life as you and we begin to look more and more like Jesus. Worship team is going to come up and lead us in response. But I wonder if you were to ask Mary, you know, when you watched what Mary went through, the craziness of potentially thinking that this news, she was going to die, that she was going to get stoned to death, and what would happen with this baby that she was now convinced was actually the savior of the world. 
And then Joseph taking her in, and her and them, and Jesus living with the shame, and the complexity of explaining it to his brothers, who we know early on in his life did not believe he was the Son of God. All of that, and then the death of Jesus, and the pain of rejection of everyone saying, no, he's not the Savior of the world. It says that she was there after the resurrection, saw Jesus, and then was there when the Holy Spirit came and started the church. Do you think in that moment she would have said, I wish I hadn't gone through any of that stuff? Do you think in that moment she would have regretted any of it? I think that's the hope for you and I. That even though in the present day there is pain, there is difficulty, there is hardship, that one day God will bring a resolution to this as we have become more and more like Jesus and we see his plan in full picture. I don't think we will say, I regret that. Jesus, we thank you that you have come so close to us. And, and I just pray every time we get a glimpse of you as a baby or Mary this season, like through movies or um, nativity scenes or stained glass windows or Christmas cards or displays in malls or whatever, that it would just grab us. And we would be reminded, oh, Christ is being formed in me. There is new life in me. I am being changed from the inside out. That there is a hope of me be actually becoming more like Jesus. That that is what Christmas, that is what God with us actually means. And so that this Christmas season, Lord, as we expect to change, that it would come with a greater dose of hope than we have ever had. In your name we pray. Thank you.